Welcome to the Christian Classical Corner with Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church and the Good Shepherd School Project, where we discuss Christian classical education as a way forward for educating God's children. Greetings, friends in Christ. My name is Margaret Douglas, and I am the headmistress of the Good Shepherd School Project at Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church. Let's talk some classical education. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you is eternal life and to serve you is perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Great to be with you again today as once again we dive deeper into the ideas of Christian classical education as a discipling tool for our children and youth, building them up in the ways of the Lord. The prayer I began with is one of the collects or collected prayers of the congregation from the daily morning prayer service in our Anglican Book of Common Prayer 2019. And if you're interested in using that in your own devotions, I encourage you to look it up online. The whole thing is available from our national church in PDF form at the website bcp2019.anglicanchurch.net. That's bcp2019.anglicanchurch.net. And friends in Christ, I did not realize what date I was going to be doing this live when I picked that one, but it seems terribly appropriate for October the 1st, here in the Vegas Valley, the fourth anniversary of the terrible tragedy that occurred. And so I ask you to take another moment of prayer, to pray for all those who died. May the, the dearly departed rest in peace, and may light perpetual shine upon them and also for all the valley. And may God's grace be upon us that we may be Vegas strong in him. Well, friends, today I'd like to talk about stories. It's gonna be story time right here on the Christian Classical Corner. But instead of telling stories, we're gonna talk about telling stories. And I, I wanted to do this because I just feel like as a concept, stories, are kind of being flung at me by the Holy Spirit, like it's a concept that God really is trying to, to work with me on. So I'd really like to talk with you about them this morning. Stories are powerful. Jesus knew that. That's why he used them so frequently. His parables throughout the gospel accounts teach and train and put forward hard lessons and soft packages. We remember them, don't we? I mean, how many of the New Testament moments that you know really well, how many of them are parables? I'd guess most of them. Certainly true for me. And think about it. The prodigal son, the sower, the good shepherd. I mean, if you're going to teach a Sunday school lesson or even a youth or adult lesson on the New Testament, isn't it easier to do that with a parable? That's why even when we're teaching Old Testament lessons to children, we tend to do the parts that are the best stories, Right. I mean, we don't do the in-depth description of the temple decorations or the genealogy lists. Those don't make such good stories. Well, Jesus knew how to teach the Old Testament, the law. He showed how it fit into his great story. And Jesus wasn't the first person to understand the power of stories. 
I've been deep reading into Plato lately, and he veers off into stories much more than you'd think for an ancient philosopher. Stories are powerful. When Father Howard was here with us last week, he was mentioning that children love stories, and they learn from stories. And I'd guess that as a pastor, a children's mental health professional, and a father of six, he probably ought to know. But it's not just children who learn from great stories, is it? I mean, Jesus wasn't telling his stories to children. He was telling them to adults, in some cases to very highly educated adults, who needed something to cut through their own arrogance and humble them to the level of a child. And you know a story that did that well? You remember the story that Nathan told? Prophet Nathan for David? Now there's a story for you. David's been doing all sorts of things that he shouldn't. And Nathan's got to instruct the king in his own evils. Great example. Let's take a look at that passage from 2 Samuel, starting at verse 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Boom. Climax. Nathan delivers that final line to all the outrage he desired. King David is furious. The story's landed its full punch. And how does David react? Let's look at verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Now you see, that's how you stoke outrage. You tell an outrageous story and allow our natural emotions to take over. And the prophet Nathan knew exactly what he was doing, because he was telling the Lord's story. And the story had done its work. It's only then that Nathan can say, as he does in verse 7, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Ouch. Sometimes we need those stories, don't we? We have to really be able to see our own sins apart from our own defenses, our own prejudices, our own limitations. And stories, the presenting of the facts in a neutral setting, in a way that demonstrates that to us in a non-personal manner, there's sometimes the only way that we can see the relationship between our own lives and everything else. Stories get us unstuck from our own little personal worlds and seeing the big picture. 
That's what happened with David. That's what allowed him to finally realize what he's done to Uriah the Hittite and to say to Nathan, as he does in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. But this is the Lord's story, his own desire to see sinners repentant and restored. And that allows Nathan to reply, as he does in 13 and 14, The Lord has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Harsh, yes. Sometimes harsh punishment is needed in training. We know that. But not the death that David deserves. Praise the Lord for that. And right there, David is given the chance to see where he fits in the story. He is the Lord's, and the Lord doesn't want him to die, but to live. And the Lord has plans for how to make things right. And now that David can see the bigger picture, thanks to the prophet Nathan's story, David can work on doing his part of restoring his relationship with his creator and his God. Like I said, stories are powerful. And I think this is why Father Howard last week was talking about reading stories of the Bible to our children, not just so they know them. I mean, that's important, and we want that. But it's not the most critical part of the equation. No, Father Howard mentioned that children, and really all of us, we're trying to find our place in the story. Now, I suspect, brothers and sisters, and please, I'm no expert. This is just an opinion. But I suspect this is one of the reasons that what they call identity politics are so in vogue in Western societies right now. Global Western, that is. The weird countries. Weird standing for Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Those things that we rely on instead of the Lord. In these countries, the new worldviews that are being taught at every level erase lessons of where we have traditionally fit in the big picture. We've taken the roots of faith, family, nation, and culture away from our children as a means of understanding their story. These have always been the traditional touchstones of a people, how they identify themselves, how they see how they fit into the world. Remember before on this program, we've talked about the root word of tradition. That's the Latin tradere. And remember, that actually means to hand over. That's why it's also the root of the English word trade, to hand things over to our children. Well, we've stopped handing these things over to our children. So if we do that, if we take faith and family and nation and culture away from the tradition of how our children relate to the world, What's left? Our children are left with the struggle between modernity's rampant individualism and or they're trying to create new tribes to replace the ones that we've cast aside. Those tribes could be anything, which is why I suspect that we see new surges these days in racial pride and animosity, why we see new trends in sexual identity, why politics in our country suddenly has more tribal power than it's had in this country for a while. I think people are desperately trying to fill the void that we've left by taking away our natural sense makers and storytellers. 
And I think more and more people are beginning to feel this way, even if they don't walk in the faith. I was reading an article the other day in the British magazine Unheard, U-N-H-E-R-D. They're the type of publication trying to put forth a lot of different views combating herd mentality. This particular article was entitled, The West Has Lost Its Roots. Quite provocative. The author, Paul Kingsworth, pulls no punches. In the second paragraph, he states, Though there has never been a human culture that is anything but flawed, all lasting cultures in history have been rooted. That is to say, they have been tied down by and to things more solid, timeless, and lasting than the day-to-day processes of their functioning or the personal desires of the individuals who inhabit them. Some of those solid things are human creations, cultural traditions, a sense of lineage and ancestry, ceremonies designed for worship or initiation. Others are non-human, the natural world in which those cultures dwell, or the divine force that they worship or communicate with in some form. We need these roots. We need a sense of belonging to something that is bigger than us, across both space and time, and we underestimate that need at our peril. Kingsworth goes on to describe the concerns of French philosopher Simone Weil from her book written... (laughs) You want to guess when that was written? Yeah, you got it. The 1940s, just like Dorothy Sayers and C.S. Lewis, whom we've talked about on this program before. Wheel was in that same time period seeing the destruction of traditional cultures that had caused the horrors of the World War that they were involved in. And she looked to where we'd gone wrong. Her book entitled The Need for Roots She makes the point that both fascism and communism were tearing Europe away from its traditions and putting it in a really dark place. In other words, the two maniacal modern philosophies had stripped the Christian West of its stories and left it in chaos. And that was happening clear back in the 40s, brothers and sisters, so you know we're still finding it today. Now, you may be asking yourself, oh, Okay, but what does this have to do with Christian classical education? Glad you ask. All education, friends in Christ, trains up children in their stories. Remember last week when Father Howard spoke of children trying to find their place in the story? All children are searching for that. And our job as the competent adults in their lives is to help them to find it. And the question we have to be asking ourselves, as parents, as teachers, as any adults who have concerns for our children, what story do we want them to understand that they are a part of? Do we want them to understand themselves as part of the modern story, that their main purpose in life is to grow up, make money, become a consumer, not question what the government tells them to do, Because that's largely the story that modern education is teaching them, isn't it? We came from nothing. We're an accident. We must buy things to be happy. Love things. Use people. Worse, are we to teach them that their story is one in which the most important things in their lives might be their skin color, their sexuality, their feelings? Is this really the story that we want them to be a part of? 
Or do we want to teach them that they have a part in a greater story, in the great story arc of salvation? Because God is real. Creation is for purpose. All people are part of Imago Dei, that image of God which is upon us, and that Christ died for their salvation and calls them beloved, canceling their sins and welcoming them into his kingdom when they believe and follow him. Which story do we want our children to know? Which story do we feel reflects reality and that we're living out? And make no mistake, dear friends, how we educate our children makes a difference in which story they will believe is true. (laughs) You ever hear of those kids who grew up and stopped going to church because they said that at Christmas, they couldn't tell which was more important to mom and dad, Jesus or Santa? And since they knew that Santa wasn't real, they figured that Jesus wasn't either. Actually, Santa was real. He was the Bishop St. Nicholas, and that's another great reason to study the stories of the saints with your kids, but we'll talk more about that later. See, a household that shows its children no difference between the fun cultural stories and the true faith ones is not likely to have children who continue to walk in faith. It's a matter of which story, the modern culture one or the one of faith, has captured their hearts. Pastor Timothy Keller, in his book, Preaching, relates a similar kind of story in his chapter on preaching Christ to the heart. Keller writes, Many years ago, in my first pastorate, I met with a teenage girl in our congregation. She was about 16 at the time, and she was discouraged and becoming depressed. I tried to encourage her, but there was a revelatory moment when she said, Yes, I know. Jesus loves me. He saved me. He's going to take me to heaven. But what good is it when no boy at school will even look at you? Oh, brothers and sisters, my heart aches for that girl, even all these years later, because I remember that feeling. I remember having been taught all the right answers from my faith, but my heart's being caught up in the world's story the world's lie, the world's manipulation. Back way too many years ago, when I was that teenage girl, my parents believed, as did many Christian parents at the time, the public schools, especially in the good-hearted, heavily Christian small town where we grew up, were safe for their children's hearts. Too often, dear friends, they're simply not. And back when I was in school, none of the teachers were actively trying to teach anything that blatantly contradicted the faith. I mean, most of them went to churches all through town. My Spanish teacher was part of our parish. I had to be really good in her class. But if the world could and did overwhelm the hearts back when, on the surface at least, everything seemed safe, good heavens, friends in Christ, what are the public schools doing to our children's hearts now? And look, I've said it before, let me say it again. I do not have anything against the majority of public school teachers who I think are trying very hard to do a good job. In fact, I admire them. But let us be really frank here. The world's story keeps changing. 
If over 30 years ago the world's stories made us weak and uncertain, even when we knew we had so mighty a Savior, I don't like to think about what they're doing to kids today. And actually, I don't have to think too hard. I see it daily. I mean, I was blessed that our children have always been either homeschooled or in private Christian schools. And for most of their homeschool lives, I've been getting more and more classical in my approach with them. But we never really tried to completely shelter our kids from the world, mostly because I think that's a fool's errand and an impossibility, and it's going to backfire in the long run. And please, brothers and sisters, don't mistake our mission here. We at the Good Shepherd School Project don't advocate locking our children away from the world's influences. We can't do that. It's just not possible. But we do have to truly instill in their hearts a counter-narrative. We have to help them know and truly love another story. The story of the triune God who loves us more than anything, and even after we've rebelled like David did, has made a way home for us in Jesus Christ. The world is going to hit our kids hard, much harder than we think. I confess, there was a time when I was lulled into believing that private school and homeschool were going to protect my children from the ways of the world. (laughs) Yeah, I was very, very wrong about that. Neither of those could possibly be a panacea. I watched the world as it crept in. It inevitably does. But having a family who told the story of salvation, and not just because we showed that Jesus was more important than Santa, but because we tried to model and live it, and because we use more classical methods of education, our boys have a few more tools to fight back against the world's narrative. They've been equipped with a counter-narrative. And that's what we're about at the Good Shepherd School Project and why we're so dedicated to education by Christian classical methods. It's not just that it's a good way to educate. It's a counter-cultural way to educate. And not countercultural in a tribal sense. We good, they bad. Yeah, that doesn't really express love thy neighbor. But in fact, getting tribal is the world's answer. It's not the Lord's. The world's answer is to inculcate our students. I'm sorry, the Lord's answer is to inculcate our students with a narrative that makes them want to go into every nation and preach Christ to every people like they've been instructed to do in Matthew 28. We want to give them the countercultural stories that will help them see a bigger picture than what the world is throwing at them. Because that's what education really is, right? And Catholic scholar John Henry Newman once wrote, education is building the habit of mind to see things in relationship to each other in order to make good judgments about the world. Well, you don't really build habits of mind if you're not into building the virtues to begin with. And you don't really consider relationships of things if you don't see them as interconnected. And you don't worry about the relationships of people if you don't see relationship as a primary part of being human. And you can't make good judgments about the world if you're stuck in an educational system that can't even define what good is, or worse, turns good on its head and calls good evil and evil good, a la Isaiah 5.20. In Christian classical education, we want to tell the stories that will build the habits of mind and help students to see things and people in relationship in order to make good, godly judgments about the world. 
We want to give them the stories to be the counter-narrative to the poisonous stories of the world. That's what we're doing at the Good Shepherd School Project, and we stand ready to help families who want to help build that counter-narrative in their children. Please, friends, if you know of someone who wants to get their children away from the public school stories but may have difficulty in homeschooling, we're out here. We're ready to partner with families to help them provide an education that focuses on the stories of the Lord and his people, helping them to build up their children's hearts and minds, inculcating the counter-narratives. And if you know of homeschool families who are looking for programs to help them give their children more training in the right stories, please let them know about our atrium classes. You can find more information on our programs at our website, goodshepherdhenderson.info. That's G-O-O-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D-H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N dot I-N-F-O. And to support our ministry or learn more about our parish, find our parish website at vegasanglican.org. That's V-E-G-A-S-A-N-G-L-I-C-A-N dot O-R-G. As always, brothers and sisters, thank you for your time and your support, and most especially for your prayers. Have a very blessed week. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. And until we meet again, may he hold you in the palm of his hand. God bless and see you next week here on the Christian Classical Corner. Thanks so much for joining us at the Christian Classical Corner. It's been a pleasure, and we hope that it's been a blessing for you. Want to learn more? Find out more about our school project at goodshepherdhenderson.info and more about our church, where you can support our ministry at vegasanglican.org. Thank you so much. Be blessed. And we'll see you next week, Friday, 8.30 a.m., for more talk on Christian Classical Education. Wouldn't it be great if there was an Angie's List or Home Advisor for Christians? There is. The Christian Resource Guide. Whatever business or service you need, you can find them expecting they'll do business using Christian principles. Like Protect Pest Service, Sudden Impact Auto Body, Mojave Air Conditioning, Alpha O Business Concepts, Cassidy Law Offices, all serving the Las Vegas area. The Christian Resource Guide, including over 400 churches, ministries, and businesses in Las Vegas. Find them at Christian bookstores and local churches. Today's survey show that 66% of Christian men are viewing pornography, putting marriages and families at risk. The occult has gone mainstream. Suicide rates are rising. The U.S. is divided in a cultural civil war, and Christians are the enemy. Yet most churches rarely discuss these issues or act as if there's a problem. Mike Janung with Blazing Grace Radio dives into recovery from porn addiction, adultery, and the other areas God's people are struggling with. Blazing Grace Radio's mission is to equip you to be an overcomer who makes their life count for eternity. Join us Monday afternoons at 3.30 p.m. Grammy's Cleaning Services, residential and commercial, exterior and interior cleaning. They guarantee their service to be up to your standards. Grammy's came over to